Well, hello, Southside. This is Pastor Johnny coming to you, recorded from the office again with our uh, Sunday morning gathering time. So I want to say thank you again for joining with us during uh, just what is a very unique season in the life of our church, Um, because I know today we are all gathered in our homes, uh, whether individually, with families, you may even be gathered with friends right now. Either way, I'm thankful that we are all here collectively gathered together to study the Word of God. Now, we are going to continue making these videos um, to keep you updated and to continue walking through the Gospel of Mark together. So, I hope you are somewhere gathered in front of your mobile device, in front of your computer, uh, in front of your television. I hope and pray that you have the Word of God in your hands, and I hope you're ready to dive into our text together as we continue to walk through the Gospel Mark. Now, we will actually be in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28 today. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, um, I would invite you to go ahead and turn to that passage with me. And as you turn there, I want to ask you this question. Have you noticed how people are always asking questions like who or what is the greatest? Now, in light of not having any sports, I've actually found myself engaged in several of these conversations where we have been asking ourselves um, who was the greatest baseball player or who was the greatest football player or who is the greatest basketball player or the greatest team. Um, Maybe you've been in conversations that had nothing to do with sports. Maybe you've been in conversations where you've asked about uh, what are the greatest books that you've read or the greatest books that you've uh, heard about. Maybe the greatest movie we've ever seen or perhaps the greatest person we've ever known. You see, the reality is we love having conversations about what we believe to be the greatest or who is the greatest or what is the greatest. Well, in our text today, Jesus Christ is going to find himself in such a conversation about who is the greatest when a religious leader comes to ask him what is the most important or the greatest of the commands. Now, Jesus will give the man not one, but actually two uh, commands telling him that all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now, we find this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 40. Now, as we're going to see in our text, both of these commands are grounded in our responsibility to love, both to love God supremely and to love others genuinely, or as we like to say here around Southside, to love others boldly. Now, here is the truth of our text. Our response to these commands will expose our hearts, and they will reveal what matters most to us. You see, As we dive into this text, we need to ask ourselves the following questions. What do we cherish? Or better yet, what has the most value in our lives? And I hope today that together we are about to see that we have been commanded to love. So again, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to turn with me now to Mark chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse 28 together. So let's read the Gospel of Mark, the good news of Jesus Christ, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Mark writes, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this time. Father, I thank you for our faith family that is gathered in so many places right now across our community. Father, we thank you for your word and the opportunity that we've had to worship you through your word today and worship you even in the songs that we were a part of earlier. And Father, we ask now that as we move through this study together in the Gospel of Mark, Father, we pray that you'd prepare our hearts and our minds for your truth. And God, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified in this time together. Father, we love you. We thank you. Again, we thank you for opportunities that even though we are not gathered collectively together in our sanctuary for service, Father, we thank you that we can gather around our technology and still find ourselves with the opportunities of studying your word. So, Father, we ask that you would bless this time, be glorified in what we say and do. Father, we love you, and again, we say thank you for loving us. Thank you for delighting in us, for it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump right into this text, and what we're going to see that in this particular counter that Jesus Christ has was described, Jesus is actually going to reveal to us the two greatest commands for us to follow as believers. Now, the first command is this. We are commanded to love God. Now, we see this played out in verses 28 through 30. Now, a scribe or a religious lawyer has now come to Jesus Christ. He has already overheard the Lord's disputes with the other religious leaders, and he saw that according to the, de the text that Jesus answered them well. So without any malicious intent whatsoever, the man now asks Jesus Christ a question that was often discussed in religious circles. He asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, to understand the question, we have to first see that this actually was not an easy question to answer. You see, in early rabbinic tradition, uh, that tradition uh, identified that there were over 613 commands in the first five books of the Bible. Now, of these commands, 365 of them were negative and 248 of them were positive. Now, some of these commands were lighter and made less demand on the people or less demand of the people, while others were viewed as heavy and came with severe repercussions for disobedience. So the scribe here is literally asking Jesus to declare himself, to tell him, you as Lord, which of the commands are actually the greatest of all the commands? And so the Lord does so. He responds, and in doing so, his answer takes us to the core of what really matters in life. We see in verse 29 that Jesus begins by quoting what Israel has called the Shema, which can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verses 4 and 5. Now, Jesus here opens his dialogue with this man by starting with a confession that was recited by every devout Jew, both in the morning and in the evening. As Jonathan Edwards notes, 
It was the Shema. It was and it is as important to Judaism as is the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed to Christianity. Now next what Jesus will do is he will then give us what is the heart and soul of the Hebrew faith of Christianity when he says, The Lord, Yahweh, our God, Elohim, the Lord Yahweh is one. Now, here is God's covenant name Yahweh declared to his people. Jesus declares that Yahweh is our only God, that he is the one and only, and there is no other, there is no God like him. He is unified and unique in both essence and and existence. So Jesus has now just made a powerful statement of uniqueness and ex exclusivity. Now, he then states that our God is God alone. So when it comes to our worship, when it comes to our love, our devotion, and our allegiance, it must be exclusive to God or God will not accept it. So Jesus here, in his answer, he is bringing us back to the fundamentals of faith, which are also non-negotiables for the believer. Now, at this point, when we begin to talk about how God is one and how everything hinges on the fact that he is God and God alone, we must ask ourselves, well, what kind of God is he? Well, we don't have to look any further than Exodus 34, verses 6, uh, verses six and 7, and we see that God is perfect in his gracious love and pure in his justice. Now, coming back to Jesus and his encounter with the scribe here and then reciting uh, the Shema, we are reminded that this moment was also meant to be instructive for the scribe and for us today as well. You see, when we look into Deuteronomy chapter 6, we will also notice that the Shema calls us to love God and to obey his commands all the days of our lives. We see that we are also instructed to teach these commands to our children and to our grandchildren, and we are to take these uh, instructions in order to remember who God is and what it is that God has done for Israel. So because of these instructions that were given in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we are to love God supremely, which means we must not follow any other gods or make any idols above God. For the Lord our God is a jealous God, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Now, we jump into Mark chapter 12, getting into verse 30, and here's what I would want you to do. If you do write in your Bibles or you're taking notes, I would want you to make note of the word all, or even circle the word all, or underline the word all in your Bible, because what you're going to see is the word all actually appears here four times in order to emphasize the comprehensive nature of how we are to love the Lord our God. You see, this passage now calls for a total response of love and devotion to God. We see it when we see we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and again with all our strength. We are called as believers to love God wholly and completely. I like how Kent Hughes says it when he points out that it does not take much of a man to be a believer but it takes all there is of him. You see, when we begin to speak of 
matters of the heart here in scriptures, this moment is speaking to our emotions or the real me that is on the inside as opposed to what is external. Now we can go back and see this in Exodus chapter 20 verses 3. Jesus also mentions the word soul here, which is speaking to the spirit or the self-conscious life, if you will. Again, tying back to Psalm 42 verses 1 and 2. Jesus then tells us that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our mind, which speaks to our intelligence or our thought life, which we can then see in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5. And then Jesus concludes by saying we are to love the Lord our God with all of our strength, which speaks to our bodily powers and our will. You can look over to Romans chapter 12 verse 1 to understand what that means. But in order to better understand the love that we are to have for God, I also like what Eugene Peterson did when he actually changed the words um, instead of heart, soul, mind, and strength, he changed the words to our passion, our prayer, our intelligence, and our energy. Now, either way, whichever set of words that you want to talk about or think through, either way, you see that each set of words reveals, according to Sinclair Ferguson, that God is never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of our whole life for the whole duration of our lives. In other words, God wants all of us. You see, God doesn't want some of us. He doesn't want uh, a part of us. He doesn't want us when it's easy. He doesn't want us when it's convenient. No, he wants us to be fully devoted to him for our entire life. So this is the point where we have to ask ourselves. When we say that we're believers and we say that we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our mind, all of our strength, we now have to add, answer these questions. When it comes to our own lives, is the Lord the all-consuming passion of our lives? Am I loyal to my God with an exclusive love? Do I enjoy spending time with my Lord? Do I brag on my Lord to others? Do I tell the Lord my God that I love him? You see, we don't ask these questions or do these works in life in order to get God to love us. That's actually uh, incorrect and a misnomer. Rather, we do them because we are loved by him and because we love him. As it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Now, we are commanded to love God because it is God who actually loved us first. Now, he saw us. Think about this. God saw us in the midst of our mess. God saw us in the midst of our filth. He saw us in the midst of our wretchedness, and he still welcomes us. He still looks to us and says, yes, I love you. You see, we need to take joy, brothers and sisters, in who Christ is and the fact that God loves us and we need to be the ones who pursue full devotion to Jesus Christ. That is what this scribe is now being called to. Now, 
Jesus in a way that only Jesus can do. He actually gives us two great commandments. Now, the second command we see here is that we are commanded to love others. We see this in verse 31 through 34. Now, again, in a way that only Jesus Christ can do, he gives us more than we can ask for. Now, if I could just pause for a moment. I don't know if you've been paying attention through uh, the Gospel of Mark and each of the conversations that Jesus Christ is having, whether he's being questioned by the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin or the religious leaders or even if the disciples have questions of him. Have you noticed how every time Jesus gets questioned, he gives an answer that is more than we could ever expect or more than we could ever imagine? It's never just one simple thing. It's God gives us a yes, here's an answer, and there's also this. I believe this is why as believers in Jesus Christ, we can say that God is both provider and sustainer. He gives us what we need in order to glorify him, and yet it is him who sustains us. Again, he always goes above and beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. Now, if you don't believe me, Go back and read Mark chapter 1 uh, through Mark chapter 12 at this point, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, I could point through quite a few of the books in the Bible, and, and you'll see this same uh, story played out with what God does and what Jesus Christ does in abundance uh, to us and for us. But anyway, back to our text. The religious leaders... Uh, the religious leader here, the scribe, had actually asked which command was the greatest or which one was the most important. Now, Jesus tells him that there are actually two. Now, we've already seen the first one, and so here's what we need to understand. How we respond to the first command, which is loving God, will determine how we respond to the second great command, which is loving our neighbors. Now, you can also take it and flip it and say this. When we obey the second command, which is loving our neighbors, it shows that we have embraced the first command, which is loving the Lord our God. Now, looking at verse 31, Jesus now adds Leviticus 19 verse 18 to complement Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 and 5 in this text. Jesus here is teaching uh, the scribe and also us to say that out of my love for God, I will love those who have been created by God in his image. Now, notice here that Jesus Christ uses the word neighbor. Now, by using the word neighbor here, this word neighbor was not meant in the restrictive sense. It wasn't just talking necessarily about the people who live around us, whether you live in an apartment and the doors that are around you or in a townhome and the units that are connected to you or even in your own neighborhood and the houses that are around you. No, Jesus actually uses the word neighbor and he uses it in a way that actually encompasses all of humanity. Now, when we speak of all of humanity, we're not just talking about the people that we're friends with or the people who may be like us, but Jesus takes it a step further and he includes our enemies as our neighbors as well. So you see, as believers, we are called to be neighbors to all people. In other words, we are called to love all people. We are called to serve all people in order to point them to Jesus Christ and glorify God. We are to love them and serve them well. Now, some people see the phrase that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Some people see that phrase as yourself wrongly, and they begin to think that Jesus is actually telling us to selfishly love ourselves 
in our service, thus making service all about us. Well, the reality is that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Um, in this particular command, Jesus is making it clear that our primary focus should be on our actions and not on our feelings. In other words, when it comes to serving our neighbors, when it comes to loving our neighbors, it is not nor should it ever be about us at all. Rather, it should be about loving God and loving our neighbors and pointing them to Jesus Christ. So we have to ask ourselves this question, how are we loving through our service to others? Better yet, how are we loving God through our service to our neighbors? Who, by our example of service, in that service, can see our love for Jesus Christ. You know, the truth is this. The more rightly, according to the word, the more rightly that we love ourselves, the more we will deny ourselves in order to serve others. You see, we need to commit to serving the needs of others with all the energy, all the passion, all the zeal with which we attempt to meet our own needs. However, only by loving God supremely will we be able to love all others boldly. As we love others boldly, we then demonstrate that we love God supremely. This is now why Jesus says there is no other commandment greater than than these. You see, by tying in Leviticus 19, God does, and go read Leviticus 19 for yourself, God does not just simply leave it to our imaginations as to what he means when he tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. In fact, as you walk through uh, Leviticus 19, you will begin to see uh, what it means to be called to love our neighbors and what that should look like. But then back to our text in verse 32 and 33, we now see the scribe respond with delight. And he affirms Jesus's confession of the one true God. He also affirms the comprehensive love, devotion, and worship of our God, and that God is worthy to receive said love and devotion and worship. He then goes on to add insight that drew the praise of Jesus Christ. He does this when he says that these great commands, according to the text, are much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. You see, the scribe like us today realizes that religion is truly a matter of the heart. You see, the rituals must give away to a right relationship with God and with others around us. Now, when we begin to think about our own lives, we need to begin thinking on the scribe's response in light of our current events. As believers in Christ, in the moments of uncertainty, in the moments of not knowing what next gatherings will look like or what this coronavirus will continue to do, we need to realize and believe that we serve and we worship a sovereign God. 
And so in the midst of so much uncertainty, whether you're wondering about whether your kids are going to go back to school, what their activities are going to look like, what's going to happen with work, at the end of it all, or even at the beginning of it all really, but also at the end, we need to realize that everything we have and what we are experiencing rests in the hands of our sovereign creator. So in the midst of our worry, we need to pause for a moment and ask ourselves, are we giving God our full love? Are we giving God our full devotion? Are we giving God our worship? You see, we are in need of a Savior. We are in need of Jesus. You see, it's because of the Sovereign Lord. He is the reason why we are here. And so I can't help but wonder, in this season that we are experiencing, could we be experiencing uh, this moment in order to be reminded of who God is? And so my prayer for us today and through the days ahead is that we would see this moment as an opportunity to pause and to reflect on what should matter most in the life of the church. You see, here's the beauty of what I've had to experience in sitting in an office. First, I want to tell you, I miss you dearly, and I miss the fellowship of the believers. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've enjoyed sitting in the office with our staff. I've enjoyed our prayer times. But all of us collectively as a staff here at Southside, we miss you. We miss the people and we miss the opportunities that we have to fellowship together. But here we sit in this moment and we begin to ask ourselves, is God helping us to see not only who he is and what it means to be truly devoted to him, but is he also showing us a glimpse of what it means to be the church? Because here's the reality. I mean, look at the current state that we are in. I am sitting before you in front of a recording with a microphone, walking us collectively through our series through the Gospel of Mark, and you are sitting in your homes and you're watching this together. Now, let's go ahead and be honest. I have a face made for radio, not so much video. But notice the beauty of the gospel. You see, the church is not the buildings. The church is not the location of where we are. The church is the body of believers. The church is the people. And so as a church, are we submitting ourselves to the Lord and what he has called us to? Are we fully devoted to him, fully loving him, fully prepared to worship him, whether we are here or whether we are in our homes? Because you see, the reality is we need to be together. That is true, that is right, that is biblical. But every day in our lives, there should be some form of worship happening to God because it is God who has given us the day that we have. And he is the one who deserves all praise because he is the one who has given us grace, he has given us mercy, and he has called us to be devoted to him. Now we get into, uh, keep moving from there, we get into verse 34. Now notice this, Jesus is so pleased with the scribe's response that he then tells him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, I had to go back and reread it again because I'm like, wait a minute, this scribe just asked a great question. There was no malicious intent. Jesus gave a clear answer um, that clearly points to who God is and what it means to worship him and be devoted to him. The scribe then affirms everything that Jesus has said. This, In my mind, this should be more of a high-five celebratory Jesus looking at him saying, you're getting it, let's go. But notice Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So what did Jesus Christ mean by his response to the man? Surely he's not telling the man in this moment, hey, you need to try harder. You're not quite getting it. No, the man has now come to see that entering the kingdom of God is actually a matter of heart devotion and not a matter of hard works. You see, obeying rules and obeying regulations, which this scribe would have been accustomed to. He was a, a religious lawyer and a scribe. All he knew was rules and regulations. But you see, obeying rules and obeying regulations will never get us into heaven because the reality is we will never be able to live up to God's perfect standard. So we need a new us. We need a new heart. We need the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can make us new. You see, we need to draw near to Christ as he has brought the kingdom of God near to us. Remember Jesus, we learned this of Christ back in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. So as we enter into the kingdom of God, we need to realize that we enter the kingdom of God by relationship with Jesus Christ that is devoted to loving God and also loving others. And so we have to ask ourselves today, are we loving well? We also need to ask this question. Are we serving well? And are we doing so sacrificially? Realizing that it's not about us. It's all about Jesus Christ and the glory of God. You see, when we look to the cross and we are slowly getting there as we walk to Mark, we need to begin to see Christ's perfect example of loving God and loving others as he continues to move towards the crucifixion and ultimately the resurrection. You see, to love God is to love others, and to love others is to love God. These are the two greatest commandments that Jesus teaches on, and we can actually nail them down into one simple phrase. It would be this, we are commanded to love. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this time and we thank you for this opportunity. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and, and just to study your word, to continue to walk through the gospel of Mark. Father, we praise you for your teachings and your instruction that we have here. Father, we thank you that in the question of the scribe, Father, we see the two greatest commandments that you have called us to. We are commanded to love you, God, our Father, and we are commanded to love others. And so I pray, Father, that during this season, Father, help us to grow in our understanding of what it means to love you and what it means to love others. Father, I pray that we would faithfully find ourselves in full devotion and worship to you, but at the same time, Father, help us to see the ways that we can sacrificially love all those around us. 
Father, again, we thank you for this time and we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. And Father, as we continue to reflect upon your word now, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified in these next few moments. Jesus, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to take a moment and say thank you for joining us here on this uh, sermon right now in this chat. Um, it has been a joy to be here and to be with you. And at this time, what I'm going to ask you to do, almost as if we were in our worship gathering together, we're going to take a time of reflection where what I want you to do is, is in your homes, wherever you are, uh, maybe you're comfortably sitting in your living room with a cup of coffee, or maybe you're outside enjoying the weather. Um, my prayer is that you would take the next few moments and reflect upon these passages, reread them to yourselves, pray over them, and allow the Spirit of God to continue to speak to you as we learn more of what it means to love God and to love others. My prayer is that we would find ourselves fully devoted to God and prepared to faithfully serve Him wherever it is He calls us to serve. So what I want you to do in these next few moments, this is now your time with the Lord. If you would, let's pause for a moment of reflection and you just continue to listen and meditate, focus on the scripture and move in the way that the spirit leads. Thank you so much for tuning in. We love you. God bless you and take care.